uh, we will dive into a passage continuing on in the Gospel of Mark, which we've been going through since Christmas. And uh, before we do so, let's pray and ask God to open our hearts and minds to what God might be saying. Lord our God, in the same way that it's cold outside, maybe some of us have come on in here with a cold or a hard heart. Maybe some of us have come in here with a warmth and a glow within us because things are going well. For all these different places and for wherever, wherever we might be, we all need you in some way. And I pray that today, as we hear your word, that we would come to know our need of you, whether to provide help or to increase our joy. So come now, for we are waiting and listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our scripture reading this morning is from the chapters of Mark, uh, chapter, it's from the book of Mark, chapters 5, one, um, 1 through 20. And they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he had ste- stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. He lived among the tombs, and no one could restrain him anymore, even with a chain. For he had often been restrained with shackles and chains, but the chains he wrenched apart, and the shackles he broke in pieces, and no one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always howling and bruising himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and bowed down before him. And he shouted at the top of his voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I adjure you by God, do not torment me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? He replied, My name is Legion, for we are many. He begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there on the hillside, a great herd of swine was feeding, and the unclean spirits begged him, send us into the swine, let us enter them. So he gave them permission, and the unclean spirits came out and entered the swine, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. The swine herds ran off and told it in the city and in the country. Then people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the demoniac sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion, and they were afraid. Those who had seen what had happened to the demoniac and to the swine reported it. Then they began to beg Jesus to leave their neighborhood. As he was getting into the boat, The man who had been possessed by the demons begged him that he might be with him. But Jesus refused and said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and what mercy he has shown you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis 
how much Jesus had done for him, and everyone was amazed. This is the word of God. morning we have heard a really powerful part of scripture entitled the Gerasene Demoniac. And maybe you've heard it, maybe you haven't. Either way, it's this action-packed sequence of Jesus battling demons and people and pigs, right? And uh, forget Superman. I feel like Jesus is like the original superhero saving the world from the cosmic forces. And I kind of joke about that, but not really. The only thing we haven't decided upon is a theme song. We just keep adding to its number of the number of songs we could sing for him. But anyways, I want to unpack this passage. And I want to unpack it, um, and I'm glad we get to do so on a day when, as you might have seen in the, the bulletin this morning, we get to ordain and install new leaders in our community. Elders and deacons who will be examples that we look to to help lead us and guide us in the life of following Jesus and sharing his ministry with the world. But before we dive into this passage, I wanted to share with you a quote I heard this week, and it's from a a very familiar and influential Christian witness in American history, Martin Luther King Jr. And most of us are, are pleased and glad that this man lived because of his beautiful witness and pursuit of justice for all people of color and people of all races and striving for wholeness in every part of American life and beyond. Some of us might be glad for the much more mundane, almost worthless point of in comparison that we each get a day off or most of us get a day off. Um, but one thing I find fascinating each year when it comes to this point is that I recall to mind that first of all, before just being a public and prominent figure, he was a follower of Jesus and a pastor to many. And a follower of Jesus whose whole ministry and whose own powerful ministry, an expression of nonviolence and the movement towards social change that it could produce was an in-the-flesh expression of Jesus' own powerful ministry. And this quote is from a sermon in which King speaks about the use of power in Jesus' ministry. And at the very beginning, he references a tree, which is a common way to refer to the cross of Jesus. King writes this. There is a little tree planted on a little hill And on that tree hangs the most influential character that ever came into this world. But never feel that that tree is a meaningless drama that took place on a stage of history. Oh no. It is a telescope through which we look out into the long vista of eternity and see the love of God breaking forth into time. It is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is the only way. 
It's an eternal reminder to a generation depending on nuclear and atomic energy, a generation depending on physical violence. That love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. End quote. The cross that in Jesus' time was a depiction of torture and condemnation for criminals of an aggressive empire is God's humble way of displaying what true, responsible, God-honorable, worthy power looks like. Power is self-offering love, is self-effacing love, is self-sacrificing love. And the cross is the depiction of how God uses power to create life and redeem what is dead and transform what's not right into something that is good and right and just and whole. And so as we approach our passage, I want to approach it through that lens of the cross that King laid down. That Jesus' life was a confrontation with the powers of evil and death that pervade every sphere of life. A confrontation of love to create and redeem and transform. A power that is at work in us and among us and in this world today. And for that reason, it's important to consider this as a window and how we find ourselves in our God-given capacity to live and work and move and act and speak and think in exhibitions of love, in the flesh, displays of what true, creative, redemptive, transforming power is in this universe. So, we enter this story and it opens like this. Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea to the country of the Gerasenes. And when he stepped out of the boat, immediately a man out of the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Now everything in Mark, everything in this action-packed, short gospel has a purpose of showing and telling something about Jesus with each sequence of his life. And the thing that I want to point out to you in this first verse is that it says Jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes, a Gentile country. And a man with an unclean spirit came to him. And the interesting thing about this is that at the very beginning of Mark, chapter 1, Jesus is baptized and he calls his disciples. And the first, the very first thing that he does is he goes to the sacred, important space of the Jewish temple to worship. And when he does that, it says that a man ran to him, and this man had an unclean spirit, and this man yelled, What have you to do with me, son of the Most High God? See where I'm going with this? When Jesus and the disciples cross over the sea, they go from a Jewish territory to Gerasa, which was a Gentile one. And in both instances, Jesus is confronted by a demon-possessed person who needs healing. Mark is trying to tell us that Jesus' ministry is a ministry to the whole world. Whether in the sacred places of the Jewish synagogue of worship 
or the very, very unclean tombs of Gentile territory. Jesus goes to every place. Mark is presenting us with the portrait of Jesus as a powerful man of God who is concerned with the spiritual health and care of every place and of every person, regardless of how human tradition and religious boundaries carve us up. Jesus' ministry is to all because the earth is God's and all who fill it. And God's love is a power, the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. And it is for all. Our story transitions now, putting light on a very, very strange man and how he lives. When Jesus steps out of a boat, immediately the man from the tomb comes and meets him. I don't know what picture comes to mind for you. For, for me, one picture is like Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and another is, is like some guy like Kramer from Seinfeld. It's like, Jesus. <laughs> wow. Anyway. Or some other depiction of a crazy individual, spit, speckled, beard, fire in the eyes, uncontrollably running up to Jesus within the holy moly, do you need a tic-tac kind of distance from Jesus, yelling in Jesus' face. This man lived among the tombs, a picture of death, a home in a tomb, banished from the land of the living, cut off from family and friends and community, He projects not an image of a human, but the image of an animal with his howling. And how can our hearts not be moved with the news that he has the habit of hurting himself? The only people to draw near him only want to go near him so they can tie him up, and and that only works for a while before he continues to grow in strength and break these chains. So they eventually just accept the fact that they have a crazy person in this village who lives on the outskirts of town, and that's just the status quo for life anymore. But it changes when Jesus comes, and he, this man bows down before Jesus and shouts at the top of his voice, Who are you, son of the Most High God? Do not torment me. And Jesus asks his name. And in one of the creepiest parts of scripture, he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And the the demon Legion asks him not to throw him out of the country. Instead, imploring Jesus to send us into the pigs, which Jesus does, and 2,000 herd of swine, which is a ton of swine, (laughs) a ton of pigs, can you imagine? went rolling down the hill into the sea and drowned, leaving the man in a completely different state, clothed and still and right in his mind. Jesus' ministry is for the individual right in front of him. And in the same way they confronted the power of evil and death in the life of this man, so there are powers that Jesus comes to confront within our experience of our everyday. While we might not 
present or project the image of the village crazy person. Perhaps some days we definitely feel like it. Things that have power over us that we wish didn't. Torments and wounds of the past or a toxic community that keeps these things stagnant and still and doesn't usher us toward help. Or there's self-hatred that we direct at ourselves. Each one of us at some point faces these things that has a power over us that we wish we could change and wish we could wrest ourselves free from but feel powerless against. For these things, God's love in Jesus is a power, a creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe, the truest one, and it is for you. And it's aimed at the particular ways that you need it so that you might become whole and still and transformed and at peace. And I pray that that news, that word would settle into your heart as a seed of hope for whatever you might be going through or whatever you do go through. And I pray that it germinates to create new life in you or redeems the dark moments of the past or brings about some transformation you've been longing to have. I pray that it leads you beyond inhibitions or shame or guilt or worry and helps you find the help that you need. Because God's love and power is out there in a number of different places inside this church and outside of it as well. Whether it's talking to a good friend or trusted colleague searching for community that will provide you support, finding a good counselor, a therapist, or pastor who can walk with you through dark times so that you might transform and be whole and at peace. God's powerful ministry of love and care is for you. And it is also bigger and broader in this story, Jesus changes a very important social dynamic in this community. No longer would there need to be a road sign into town of Grassa saying, Welcome to Grassa. Yes, that one with the crazy person. No more of that. They'll have to change their sign. Jesus' ministry is meant to create wholeness in the community by bringing that one guy back and completing the community to transform the relationships that bring healing to community demons to redeem the community from the demons they couldn't deal with. But that's not how it really goes, is it? After the mad dash of demon-possessed bacon down the bank and into the waters, the herders run into the village and and tell everybody what happened. And the villagers come out, and they see the man who they couldn't restrain. And then they see Jesus, and then they go back and look at this man, clothed, still, right-minded. And they do the most ridiculous thing. You would expect that the people would be upset about the 2,000 pigs, or maybe uh, they would be excited that the man is no longer, you know, crazy and out of his mind. But instead, they freak out about Jesus. 
There is a man here who is stronger than the demons that possessed the man that we couldn't bind. This man is scary and has to leave. And you catch the irony of this, right? That the demons asked to stay in the land and continue to haunt the people and destroy the community. And apparently the townspeople would have been happier with that because when the demons leave and Jesus remains, they cast Jesus out. Now, I don't want to stray too far into, like, laughing at these townspeople because I think it's a fair reaction in some sense because good things can be scary. Um, The other day, Amy and I were talking about the day in which I picked up Amos, and I recalled this feeling that I had when I got him in the car, and I was like, oh, yeah, I got a puppy. This is wonderful. And then, like, five minutes later down the road, I was like, I have a puppy. This is wonderful. (laughs) I can barely take care of myself. And this good thing that's happened in my life became this object of fear that I had to decide, how do I move past this? And it came this point of responsibility and the need to rise to the occasion to care for this thing that had happened in my life that is good. Good things can be really scary, and God's love in Jesus, creative, redemptive, transforming power is really great, but it can be really scary at times. And the ministry of Jesus holds all the power and healing and redemption that the world needs to be right and in his right mind. But it's scary because it means confronting personal and communal demons, confronting changes that need to happen, and the type of responsibility and character that it calls forth. Because there are two responses in this story. We've checked out the one, the townspeople, that tell Jesus, you have to leave. They're buckling under the pressure of fear and reject Jesus and keep the status quo. But there is the man who wants to be with Jesus so bad, who wants to share in his ministry, who's still trying to really make sense of everything that's happened, but knows without a doubt Jesus is good and worth jumping on board for. After Jesus tells him to go, to other towns, the man does, alone. And he goes just with this one experience of Jesus, a Gentile to kind of encounter other Gentiles and tell people. And it turns out other people are amazed, even with his lack of substance to his witness, the only one experience that he did have. Jesus' power creative, redemptive, transformative power beckons us to join in on and experience and share day by day. But do we, in all that we are, see that that God empowers and equips us as we are for this work? I want to share with you um, another quote from Martin Luther King that I came across when I was reading um, his letter written on April 16th 1963, from a jail cell in Birmingham, Alabama. A few weeks earlier, on April 3rd, King arrived in Birmingham, a stronghold of segregation, a bastion of racial injustice, to coordinate sit-ins and marches throughout the city, which took a nonviolent protest up against racial inequalities and segregation laws. On April 10th, a circuit court ruled that any kind of parade or demonstration or boycotting would be liable for being put in jail. So King, along with others, were jailed on April 12th. 
After a few days in jail, a fellow prisoner smuggled in a newspaper in which eight local white church leaders had written an article entitled, A Call for Unity, which deplored King and his methods of protest. And it's an incredible letter, and I I implore you to read it as well. I think it can speak to any moment in history, even ours currently today. The part I want to share with you goes like this. Time itself is neutral. It can be used either destructively or constructively. More and more I feel that the people of ill will have used time much more effectively than have the people of goodwill. We will have to repent in this generation not merely for the hateful words and actions of bad people, but for the appalling silence of the good people. Human progress never rolls in on wheels of inevitability. It comes through the tireless efforts of men willing to be co-workers with God. And without this hard work, time itself becomes an ally of the forces of social stagnation. We must use time creatively in the knowledge that the time is always ripe to do right. It's the end of the quote. Always time to do right because the cross is an eternal reminder to a power-drunk generation that love is the only creative, redemptive, transforming power in the universe. And I speak to us, and this is the last closing point, I speak to us, we here today, who only can control what we can control in our lives and individually. We in this community who can only be and strive to be a faithful expression of who Jesus was and what he came to do throughout his life. And yeah, we might feel fully unprepared for that day by day, week by week, year by year. But Jesus still trusts us enough to call us to go and imbues us and fills us with the Holy Spirit, the very power that he was filled with, to go and do these things with the moments that we have in our day. And there are enough examples of how we shouldn't be. Examples contrary, so contrary to who Jesus is that are in places of power the full gamut across this country, and specifically across Washington. And I feel like so often we fight about whether or not one example is doing better than the other when we take, we do that, we take our eyes off Jesus, who is the author and perfecter of truth and goodness and justice and beauty, who should be our guide. And I feel like we need to be ones who constantly remind ourselves of fixing our eyes on Jesus and in our own way, like King, taking on an in-the-flesh representation of what we can look like as a people who are following Jesus day by day. And so I pray you think about that when you leave here. What ways are the moments of your life and the breaths that you take pregnant with the power of God that has imbued you with his transforming grace and mercy. I pray that as we ordain and install leaders here today, that we each, myself included, take up that call to be examples 
of what Jesus strove for in his ministry and in his life. And maybe together, as individuals and in a community, we witness to this world that leadership looks a bit different. And we inspire people to live like Jesus and know a bit of God's love, too. Let's pray. Lord our God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fall afresh upon each one of us to fill us wherever we are on our journey with a deep sense of who you are, the truth and the grace, the justice and the compassion to guide us day by day wherever we might be. All this and all these people here I lift up to you in Jesus' name. Let me say it together. Amen. Amen. So.